I was reflecting as I prepared for this message on uh, Stephanie, my wife and I, uh, our first date was just over 19 years ago. Um, and it related well to what we were going to talk about. So here's how it started. Um, we were going to go in December uh, to, I had invited her to the lawn chair section at Kmart, we were living in Chicago, to go and sit in the lawn chairs and just talk. We weren't sure yet if it was actually a date or just a friend thing or what. We were trying to figure this all out. But it had, we are on the north side of Chicago. Um, it had just snowed a lot. And uh, if you know the living in the city, in Chicago, things are tight. Um, they're real messy when it snows, even after they've plowed. And I was parked in an alley, in a perpendicular parking in an alley. And they don't plow alleys. So there were some tracks in the alley. But when we got into the car to go to Kmart, um, we got stuck very quickly, and it took a long time to get uh, out of that spot. We tried all kinds of different manners of things to push and do all sorts of stuff. I had some stuff in the trunk to try and put up the tire to get us out. Finally, after using up an awful lot of our date time to get out of the alley, we made it, discovered that they don't actually have lawn chairs in winter at Kmart, poor planning on my part. I still had a good time, and now we look back, and that was an actual genuine date. And I'm thankful for it. But sometimes we get stuck in life, too. Right? Not just like in Alan with the car and the snow. We've been in those situations. But sometimes we get stuck in life. Sometimes we get stuck, especially when we're trying to approach God. Maybe you're sitting in here and you have not said yes to Jesus, but you're intrigued uh, by what Jesus has to offer, who God is, but you're kind of, you don't know where to go next. Sometimes we are in those positions. Sometimes we've been following Jesus for a long time, um, and we get stuck on what God is calling me to next, and especially when we talk about what we've been discussing in the sermon series when it comes to emotional maturity and as it relates to this relationship, our spirituality, we can get stuck when we start to look inward, and we have to kind of uncover those things that need to be redeemed or reconciled in our lives before God. And so in this series, we're talking about emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, Pete Scazzaro says it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. We've been tangling with that line that he writes in his book by the same name, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I think he's absolutely right. And as we've been working through that, we've been talking for the past couple of weeks about knowing yourself so that you would know God. Uh, and, and part of that, part of that is looking inward to uncover what it is that sometimes we haven't dealt with emotionally. Emotions are a God-given gift, and we can use them rightly or wrongly. And sometimes we haven't reconciled some of those things appropriately, so we're emotionally immature. We looked last week at family of origin and kind of things from the past that could affect how we approach God. Those things are always at play in our lives. And so in a sense now, in the, the series, we're tipping from kind of looking inward, knowing yourself, a little bit more to what does God actually want me to be then? Or who does God want me to be in this transformation process that we go through to become like Jesus Christ when we say yes to Jesus? God wants you to be emotionally mature so that you can be spiritually mature. We should just say that. I think Scazzaro is right. Uh, spiritually mature or maybe emotionally immature. God wants us to be both mature in both of those categories of our lives, and they're so intertwined. But I also want to point out that we need some precision as we continue to talk about this. Just because we change in life, 
that doesn't mean that we are actually getting closer to God and trusting God anymore just because change occurs. We change all the time. We change every day for better or worse. Change is always happening. We can change uh, our diet. We can eat better or we can eat worse. It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be closer to God. Some people are big into fasting right now, but they're not doing it as a spiritual practice. They're doing it as a weight loss practice. You could do it either way to get closer to God or to lose weight. You could do it both. But just because you change something doesn't mean you're getting closer to God. So we need to be a little more precise about what we're talking about when it comes to this. But sometimes we get stuck in approaching God. Sometimes we get stuck in the process of transformation through Jesus Christ. And the question becomes, how do you walk with God when things get tough? How do you walk with God when you feel stuck and you're not sure where to go next? Or when you know that the expectation that you had of what God was going to do appears to be different than the expectation of what God is actually going to do. You hit those points ever? I expected God to act this way, this way, and this way, but all of a sudden now, as I look at what I figure out what, who I am and who God is, it doesn't appear that my expectations are lining up with where God wants me to go. It looks like there's something different God has in store for me. And the simple solution, simple in words, is that we actually probably need to let go of some things at that point. We often need to let go of things that guide us that aren't God, like fear, like control, and even our past, or the things that pull us down in our past, in order to move from the wrong expectations we have to the direction God wants us to go. And we're stuck sometimes. But we've got to learn to let go. That doesn't mean you forget. What it does mean is that those things release the hold those things have on you to walk forward the way God wants you to go. And so we're looking at Abraham today. Um, I'm glad we got the scripture reading right. One of the visitor, three visitors was a great scripture. We're looking at Abraham. If you're following along, you can stick with page 19. But I'm going to go back and forth between Hebrews and Genesis. What we want to recognize when it comes to Abraham, though, in his relationship with God, God forms a covenant with Abraham that is a two-way promise, and it's, in, it's pivotal to the rest of Scripture, and everything that happens from that point on, this two-way promise that God makes with Abraham. Uh, we run into this covenant, idea of covenant, I just signed a covenant uh, contract for the church this week with a new cleaning company, right? It's a two-way promise. I have a covenant of marriage. With my wife, we have vows. They, they work on both sides. If one breaks, it breaks the whole thing. That's how a covenant works, and that's what God made with Abraham and with his descendants. And so you can see the Hebrews passage. It's on the screen. Hebrews eleven twelve. We heard this morning. It talks about Abraham. So this one man, and he as good as dead, and descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Countless is the sands of the seashore. That was the result that God was giving Abraham to the covenant. I'm going to covenant with you. You remain faithful to me in my ways. I'm remaining faithful to you to take your descendants and make them all of this as numerous as the stars and the sand. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And it's through that mechanism, through that vehicle, that God is going to reveal to the rest of the world his character, who he is, and draw the world to himself. That's what the covenant is trying to accomplish. But you can see if the descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sands on the seashore, you at least need one descendant to start and make that happen. 
and Abraham was as good as dead. Sarah is described basically that way too here in this passage. Um, and, uh, and so you've got to start somewhere. They need the child to fulfill this promise. They finally get Isaac in those later years in life. And then all of a sudden we run into this, this story that we're in today, Genesis 22. And it kind of feels, if you're like Isaac, that you're getting a conflicting message from God at this point. It kind of feels like you have one expectation of what God is giving you, and all of a sudden God is taking everything in another direction. In Genesis 22, 2, uh, it won't be on the screen, I'll just read it. Uh, it says that God came and he says, take your son, your only son, that you love Isaac, and sacrifice him. So the direction is to sacrifice your son. The covenant was given so that he had descendants as numerous as the sand and the seashore and the stars and the sky. He does have another son. Let's just clarify that. Ishmael. But that's him taking things into his own hand. Isaac is the child of promise. Isaac is the child that's going to fulfill the covenant, not Ishmael. That's how it's supposed to work. So even when it says you're one and only son in this part of the text, he has another son, but it's only talking about the covenant promise being fulfilled through Isaac. But then you've got this question that I'm sure Abraham is asking and Hebrews alludes to. How in the world is this covenant going to be fulfilled if you take the son that I have, the one descendant I have, so I'll have numerous descendants someday. How will this be fulfilled? And I want to note that uh, this idea that he would have to sacrifice his son comes completely out of left field for us in our day and age. In Abraham's day and age, this was happening all around. Uh, child sacrifices and children's sacrifice was unfortunately... Uh, in my mind, something that happened in other contexts around Abraham. So for to that sense, that idea didn't come out of left field, but that doesn't make it any less emotionally painful to be asked to do it for someone like Abraham. Maybe like, okay, other, other gods do this, I'm going to know this god, if this god wants this, but yeah, this is going to hurt. Obviously God wants something big from Abraham. How does Abraham walk with God? It makes it difficult. Well, Hebrews points it out, and it's, it's illustrated through the text of Genesis. Uh, and this is going to sound as, I think, generic as possible, but walk with me. Abraham walked by faith. That's the first thing we can see about Abraham. Abraham walked by faith. In the Hebrews passage, we heard a definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And in our day and age, when we run into the idea of faith, people are often ready to just say faith is this idea of blind faith. Faith is built on nothing. Faith is built on air. Faith is built on no previous experience whatsoever. Faith is a wish in our current modern usage of it. But that's not how it's used here. That's not how it's illustrated through Scripture. And that's not how we should use your brothers and sisters. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. That is to say, faith is built on some experience in the past. Faith is built on what's already happened, so we have confidence in what hasn't happened already. Another thing we can add to this, the uh, Faith Life Study Bible, I came across a good active definition of faith this week, that is active trust and belief displayed through obedience. Active trust and belief displayed through obedience. That's how it's going to work out. So it's the confidence uh, in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see, and that's lived out through active trust and obedience. 
So we can ask the question that if it's based on experience, what does Abraham already know about God at this point? To build a faith. We know that, and Hebrews outlines some of this too, but if you just look through Genesis, just to hit some highlights, God called him out of the land of his ancestors, out of Ur, and called him to a new land that he would give him. God made the covenant with him, and you can read about that both in, in Genesis 12, and Genesis 15, and then Genesis, it goes on with the covenant of circumcision. All of it, it kind of gets reinforced and built upon for numerous chapters um, and episodes in Abraham's life. Uh, there's an episode of Lot being rescued where God's involved with three visitors, which we didn't read this morning. And then finally, Isaac is born. The child of promise. The child of heaven. And when it comes to faith, then, if you kind of sneak back just before our text section this morning, uh, in Genesis 22, verse 33, Abraham has just made a treaty with uh, a leader in Beersheba. It says Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, and we get a name, a title of God. There he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And then if we move ahead to our actual passage where we started, Genesis 22.1, and this will come on the King James on the screen, because I think that, that gives us a little bit of precision that we're missing in most of our translations, actually, in this case. It says, and it came to pass after these things, my translation, probably most of you say, God did. But more precisely, it says in the original, that God. Which God? The God of the, the God who is eternal, the eternal God, we just read about. And it came to pass these, uh, after these things, that God, which God? The God who called Abraham out of earth and brought him to the land he would give him. Which God? That God, the God who brought him and gave him the covenant and affirmed the covenant, and walked through the blood of the covenant, and brought in the covenant of circumcision. Which God? The God that rescued Lot. Which God? The God that sent the three visitors, saying, you will have the son that's going to fulfill the, the covenant. Which God? The God that brought the child Isaac. That God. And it came to pass, that God. That is how faith works. It points back to what God did. And then says, now God's going to do that. That's faith. Abraham walked by faith with that God. And then God tested, and Abraham responded to that God. Abraham walks forward by faith, and what's interesting about this, and what we should recognize, and what we should take to heart, difficult as it is, Abraham walked forward by faith, knowing there would be difficulty and loss. He knew this would be an easy thing to walk forward by faith when God tested him. And you can see that is borne out by the evidence in the text that he's walking forward by faith and responded well when God tested him. In chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on the son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Now, we don't have time to unpack the fact that this looks forward to the one who did that for all of us, although we will pick out a verse that will point that out. But he puts on the sacrifice himself everything required for the sacrifice. It continues on. He, he put them uh, and the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Abraham followed through. He, he went through to do what God had called him to do, knowing there would be difficulty and loss. And then he proceeds, verse 10, it says, Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham walked by faith. When God tested, he responded. And then God stopped him. Angel comes and stops him. Says, you proved the point. You fulfilled the test. And what does Abraham learn by walking forward in faith? Well, simple thing he learns, and this is outlined in the law, and then this is illustrated later on in the ju in judges, but God doesn't desire human sacrifice. Let's just make that a clear point today. God doesn't desire human sacrifice. What he was asking Abraham to do was not actually what he wanted him to do. He never wanted Isaac to be killed. It's written in the law, but they're not supposed to do that. And then if you read the story of Jephthah, you can see the guy makes a really dumb decision. And God says, that doesn't honor me. Human sacrifice never honors God. More importantly, God is faithful. Abraham discovers. And then the text really makes the point of this, that Abraham learns that a relationship with God matters more than the benefits God gives. Because in verse 12, angel speaks and says, Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. This is the relationship that matters first and foremost before everything else. Now I know that you fear God. When we hear that you've got testing, um, I don't know if you have positive or negative views of that. Um, often I hear people having negative views of that. God's testing me exasperatedly. People have said, and I've heard that many times. But I want to point. I want to point out that God tests us for our success, not our failure. Can we hear that the good news this morning? God tests us for our success, not our failure. God does not want us to fail. God actually wants us to succeed. And what was God wants us to succeed in getting closer in this relationship is what God wants. That's why God is testing. God tests us knowing that we can be more on the other side of the test in this relationship. That's why God would do that. James points that out in uh, the first chapter of the book of James. It says, Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, tests. Because you know that the testing of produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete. Not lacking anything. We can get to these points in life where we are stuck. Where it feels like uh, we've, we've run to the edge of where God has called us to, where we feel like we should be with God, and we know there's something more, or we sense that there's something more um, that, that's on the other side. But we have a choice at those points. We could. Stop and turn around and walk away. Or we could try and birth an Ishmael in those moments. Say, I'm going to take this into my own hands and I'm going to do it myself. I think God has called me to do something, but I'm going to, I'm going to manufacture my own way of doing it. I did it my way kind of thing. But we discover that's not the correct way either. Or we can release Isaac. <coughs> say the relationship that I have with God is more important than the possible difficulty and 
loss that I might face going forward because I know God has something better on the other side. When I reflect on my own heart, I reflect on uh, something like, uh, as just a personal reflection, call the ministry and, and when Stephanie and I and the rest of our family have been trying to figure out uh, where God called, has called us to as we've gone uh, now, this is the third church we've served. Um, I know in the previous church, we felt like we were in a great place for our family. It was a wonderful, nurturing environment, and yet God said, I'm calling this to an end. And it was hard. And you felt a sense of loss. Not knowing what was next. We didn't know this was next. We didn't know what was next. We were, we were lost, walking with God, stuck. And then God called us to the next place. And we're thankful. And our family is doing well. And we love being here. But it was hard in the midst of that to know what's coming next, to walk in that moment when you're feeling stuck, and you're feeling like I, I, we want to manufacture what's going to happen next. We have to wait for God and walk with God, knowing that there's going to be loss and difficulty in that in-between time. But on the other side, God's got something more in store. If we kind of to put this together and connect the dots, if we go back to Hebrews 11, 17, it talks about the idea of Abraham by faith. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Same word that's used here, or one and only, is used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave, which one? His one and only son. That the world believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't give his one and only son so you could live burdened by the way of sin. God didn't give his one and only son that you, so that you could slog through life in bondage to brokenness. God didn't give his one and only son so that you could appear put together yet remain in broken relationship with God. That's not why God gave his one and only son. God desires that you would become whole, that you would become like Jesus Christ. And that requires moving forward even when we get stuck. How might God walk with you then when you're stuck? Where, where is God in the midst of emotional immaturity when that tries to stunt your growth in Jesus Christ? Here's just a couple thoughts. We can sometimes get bogged down and stuck and lost when we're emotionally attached to stuff and things. I, was, I, I think about the story of uh, Pastor Francis Chan, who after doing some extended mission work with his family, came back to their nice home in California and thought we should downsize. We have too much home. We don't need all this home. We should be in something smaller. And even other fellow believers that he talked to said, you're nuts for even thinking about it. And they downsized, and he said, we're more joyful and closer. Sometimes, things that hold us back are fear and control. They become our guide. God, we get stuck because we're guided by those. And it's the next phase from sometimes stuff to, to what's in our bank account and what we own in general. We want to hold that and hoard that and keep it close and be in total and complete control of that. Yet God might actually be calling us to do more with it. 
give differently, to give more, to give at all in some cases, because we're holding it back and fear and control guide us in those decisions, not God. Sometimes, for some of us, when it comes to the emotional attachments and the emotional immaturity that we have, sometimes sentimentality has a deeper hold than we realize on us, where tradition or position have the power over us. Those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but sometimes they become the sole focus of who we are and what we do. Whether home or the church doesn't matter. They can, they can become who we are and what we do. And sometimes we need to change those things up and let go so that our identity comes to bring those things. For some of us, as we talked about last week, we have pain from our past, hurt from our past, rejection from our past. Maybe you're holding a grudge, or holding grudges is your thing. All of those things hold us back and get us stuck, and then things we need to let go. We need to learn to forgive, to move forward. When we get stuck, here's the good news. God still walks with us. God's still there with us when we get stuck. And it may not be easy to move forward, but it is right to move forward. And my suggestion when we talk about faith, when we talk about getting stuck and walking by faith as Abraham did, it is highly likely that enough to make that next step this morning when it comes to the foundation of faith, of the experience of God and God's goodness in your own life. It's highly likely that you have enough to take the next step to get unstuck. And through the process, you will discover God in new ways and potentially do much for God's kingdom. As a final word of encouragement, I'm going to read Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. This wraps up everything so nicely in this passage about faith. The author writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let go. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Justify our expectations, that is, make them right with you. Help us identify those burdens and weights that pull us back from walking forward with you. Help us emotionally detach from things that may be good, things that may be bad, but in either case, keep us stuck in place. For you have called us to full and complete transformation through Jesus to the nature and likeness. Do not let us remain stuck. And you have called us to so much more. Convict us, walk with us, sustain us. 
Jesus. To you be all glory, our Lord.